begin reading out of Luke 12 with verse 22 through 34. Give attention to the gospel as spoken by Christ. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap, They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than birds? And of which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things. Your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. I don't know what I should be worried about more the time that remains for me to um, preach this message, a summer short where we try to have more of a homily than a sermon, or that my wife is loose in Waterford, Ireland today. And today is the day that they tour the Waterford plant. And so I think she's probably going to come back with a great Father's Day gift for me from Waterford. Um, Actually, I don't worry about that very much. Because I know Wendy. I know Wendy. And Wendy is very frugal. In fact, if she's going to buy something, she'll probably send me a text or an email and say, I'm thinking about this for the family room or something like that. But I don't worry because I know her. This morning, we're looking once again at an ordinary sin. Call it a respectable sin. A sin that we put up with for a long time because we think everybody does it. Or it's so small in the scheme of things. I mean, it's not murder, it's not adultery, it's not robbery, it's just worry. But in our text this morning, in verse 29, Christ, speaking to his disciples, says, Do not seek what you're to eat or what you're to drink, nor be worried. It's not good advice. It's not a little encouragement. Don't worry. Don't worry. It's going to be all right. It's a command. And I know two things this morning. I know that you worry. All of us are on notice this morning that we face this command every day of our life. And number two, I worry. I'm not above it. But I know that Jesus Christ, in knowing that you worry and I worry, still does not let us off the hook because of the nature of sin. 
all sin, it's not, it's not that, that Christ looks upon us and he sees sin as breaking a law, violating a great command. What he sees is the corrosive nature of sin in our life, such that by design, God has made us to be his and to experience joy and freedom with him as our father. And worry begins to stress us and make us anxious. In the very nature of things, if left unchecked, it can make us a worry wart. Which the, the etymology of that word is very, very interesting. Because you have worry and you have warts. And so I thought when I went to the, the reference, I thought that what I would find is that if you, if you rub your hands long enough that you have warts that come out because you're, you're rubbing, as it were, you're, uh, you're rubbing a place in your hand, like a, a, a sore on your finger or a blister. Well, some worry and anxiety can give us fever blisters, raise blood pressure and anxiety attacks. But what it was talking about is a wart is an obnoxious person. It's more of an Eeyore type of per obnoxious person, though. Eeyore was a worry wart. That person in the room that you know, how's it going? Oh, uh, that's a worry wart. And we all worry. But this morning, I'm not going to cover, and I, this is a, I'm at one disclaimer here. I'm not going to be covering those that struggle with anxiety that, that is of a more severe nature. There are some things that do worry us, and there are some of us that are more vulnerable to worry than others. I'm talking about ordinary worry. Hey, did you hear the story of the CNN reporter, the photographer, the photojournalist? called the airport. He wanted to cover the Colorado fire. And so he called the airport and he said, listen, I need a plane. You know the CNN account. Charge it. I need a plane on the runway ready to go. I'm just a couple of miles away. And they say, sir, it'll be taken care of. So he got there. He, he ran out on the tarmac and he looks and there it is. It's sitting there idling. The, 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 the steps are down. He rushes up the steps and he, he sees the pilot uh, finishing with his controls, and he says, let's go! And so up the, the stairwell, plane, the jet takes off. And so as they're going through the smoke, he calls to the pilot and he says, hey, listen, I need you to get down low. Get very close. And the pilot looks back and he says, why? Why, why do you? Well, duh, I'm CNN. I need to take some photos. Pilot's silent. And he says, then you're not the flight instructor? <laughs> you know, there are some things, there are some things that we should worry about. But you should never obsess over. And that's the point that Christ is making to his disciples this morning. Is that this day has worries. Okay, but like Martin Luther, the great reformer, used to say, he said, you know, it's one thing for the birds to fly through your hair. And it's another thing for them to make a nest there. And so with this particular sin of worry, it's one thing for it to cross our mind. 
about that job, about that relationship, about the finances, about the, the health issues. It's one thing for them to flip there, but when you obsess over it to the degree that you forget about God and the role that He plays in your life, then it's a sin. I want to show you two things in the time that remain, and I want to be very, very personal, and I want to be very, very specific. I want to show you, first of all, the weight of glory, uh, the weight, excuse me, the weight of worry. And we've already been talking about that a little bit. We're told in Proverbs that anxiety, which is a synonym for worry, in the heart of a man weighs it down. Weight, weight is the, the force upon an object by gravity. And if we say that gravity is reality, it's life, with all of its trials and tribulations, that's life, that's the gravity on our life, then worry, anxiety, is like a weight upon our heart. It really robs us of freedom. It robs us of joy. We begin to fret, we begin to stew, we become sometimes a worry wart to our friends and our family. We all we just become a worry. We're just a worrier. It's quite a weight upon our life. Let me give you just a, a worry list. And in the desire to be specific this morning, I've got these blanks um, for you to fill out. Now, if you don't want your mate, your good friend next to you to see it, then write it in code. Uh, Jonathan Edwards kept a diary. And to this day, we still don't know because when he begins to really deal with particular struggles that he had, he put it in code. So you just write your worry there. But what is your specific worry today? Because we're talking about the summer of adopting at least one ordinary sin that we want to put down. And I think we can all adopt this one this morning. But in order to adopt it, you need to be personal and you need to, to be specific. What is it that you're worried about right now? What is it that worries you to the point even of obsession? It could be financial. It could be, let me give you my, a, a, a worry list. Do I have any real friends? What if I don't make the team? What if I forget my lines? What if I blow the, the meeting? What if somebody else gets picked for the committee? What if I blow the presentation? Will I ever find a husband? Will I ever find a wife? If I do find one, will he or she be faithful to me? Do they love, does my wife or does my husband love me? Am I worth marrying? Will I be able to have kids? If I have kids, how will they turn out? What about my health? What will others do if I am no longer around? Some of my friends are dying of cancer. It's painful. Is that me? Will I have the strength to go through illness? Alzheimer's? What about the thoughts of ending my own life? What about that? You know, let's be clear here. Jesus Christ, it says in verse 22, said to his disciples. Earlier, he was talking to the crowds. And this is where it's very helpful if you have your own Bible or if you've got it on an iPhone or an iPad. Earlier, in talking to the crowds, he was talking to them about, we can go back to verse 11, 
when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. And there's one guy in the crowd who I think he thought anxious, worried. Hey, let me tell you real life worries. I am not worried about being drug up in a group of people and saying, do you know Jesus? That is not my day-to-day reality. In verse 13, someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. In other words, teacher, you're going on. It's a good sermon, but let me tell you what my worry is. It's money. I'm worried about money. And money is a very common issue of worry for us. But this man interrupts Jesus, who's not even talking about money. And he's not really talking about worry. But this man in the crowd Kind of like this week with our president, you know, this man in the crowd is like, he hears something, he hears, don't be anxious when they bring you before the the people. He's like, let me tell you what I'm anxious about. I'm anxious about this inheritance being divided with me. And Jesus proceeds to give an example of a man who, out of his greed, accumulated so much stuff that he decided to build bigger barns to store that stuff. And he did it in response to a worry. His worry is in verse 18. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods, and I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. It's his retirement plan. He says, I am worried about my retirement years. And so in that worry, I'm going to meet this by by making a plan. And that will curb my anxiety. Because, see, I can control this. He's under the illusion that he can control things, control circumstances to alleviate his worry. And you know what that does? It creates this greater weight of anxiety because you can't control it. He loses his life that night so that all of his stuff goes to another. Some... Parents today think that you can control your kids. <laughs> you think that you can, you think we have this idea, we have this illusion that if I just educate them right, if I just give them every opportunity, if I keep them in the right neighborhood, if I keep them with the right friends, then they're going to turn out perfectly fine and right. That's an illusion. Now you can pray, and God is good to parents. So don't don't be fearful, don't worry. But if you take your eyes off of God and you look at that circumstance without the control of God over those circumstances, be it food, be it drink, be it clothes, be it family, be it finances, be it health, be it relationships, you're going to, under the illusion of control, you're going to try to mitigate the circumstances to, to, to limit your worry about that, and it's only going to create more anxiety because just like me, on a stormy night, I hear the wind, and I think that little bitty boat is tied up on a very small anchor or it's just a few short lines that are hanging it to the dock, and it could break away like that if God does not keep my little boat safe. And what do I do? I get up at 2 in the morning, and I go down there, and I check on it. I'm like, okay, it's okay. And I come back, and I go to sleep until about 3. And then the wind picks up again, and I go down there. Better to take it out if I'm going to worry. No, the only thing that will allow me to go to sleep is to pray. But why is worry 
I really have to move on, but why is worry a sin? I mean, what's the, the heart of it? I mean, is God really, is he really upset when we fret? He worries, I mean, his, the, the, what makes it a sin is that we have taken this on as ourselves, and we're so focused on getting and getting what we want that sometimes we worry that we're not going to get it and then you get to be my age and you start to worry that you're not going to be able to keep it or that you're not going to have enough and you start to worry again, you obsess over it without him. And as Christian people, it's basically trying to live life without him. You're living life under your own design, under your own authority, under your own control, and it's basically a form of idolatry. John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace, actually said it's a form of blasphemy if you cannot accept the providence of God, the the boundaries that he's put in your life. If you cannot accept that, then you're showing that you're both distrustful of God and his provision of you, and you're displeased with God and the lot that he's chosen for you. Philippians says this, The Lord is at hand. This is Philippians 4, verse 5 and 6. The Lord is at hand. And that's the point. You won't obsess. You won't obsess over worries about tomorrow and next week and next year if you realize the Lord is with you and the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Many of the things that we worry about is not what God has provided, but will he provide what I want? But God has always pledged to provide what you need. Okay, we've got to end, but let me let you look at the weightlifter of worry because Jesus Christ is speaking to his disciples. Now remember, he was speaking to the masses, but now he speaks to his disciples. It was like he's speaking to the church and now he's kind of talking to the front rowers. And he's saying, listen, I really want you guys to get this. And because it's Jesus speaking, I take great heart. Because he's the great weight lifter. He's the good word that will lift all my worries. He has the cure. He knows my sinful struggle. He knows that I worry. But Jesus, he comes very close to his disciples and he tells them that he wants them to consider a number of things. And each one is a good, positive reason. He doesn't beat them up about it. And I want you to adopt just one. You should, at this point, have identified a worry. Now, I want you to adopt one thing this week. Don't, not all of them, and I'm just going to tick through these, but just adopt one that you want to apply to your worry. Okay? The first one is, he says here, your life is more than, and you can fill in the blank, with your worry list. He says, verse 23, your life is more than food. Your body is more than clothing. He's saying, your life is the most valuable thing that you have. Your life has value to me. Your life is valuable to me. The next time you're worried about something, I want you to look at whatever that worry is and say, you know what, you're not my life. You're not going to make me feel more valuable 
If I don't get that car, if I don't get that house, if we can't close, if I don't get that guy, if I don't get that person's affections, if I don't get this deal, if I, you know what? That's not my life. It's just stuff. I'd like for a lot of these things to happen. I'd like that. But that doesn't add value to me. My life has value before God. And that gives me a different perspective so that when I face, as it were, the threat of want, I have to realize I'm valuable to God. And with that, he says, look at the ravens. Now, you need to know that a raven, according to Leviticus, is one of the unclean animals. A raven is a carrion, by and large, a carrion bird. When he says, look at the ravens, I used to always think that he was talking about sparrows and birds. You know, look at the birds, they're so carefree. No, he's talking about, ah, ah. You know, I see ravens eating on my street all the time. I live off of Clements Ferry. They eat on the street all the time. They're always eating, or sometimes the side of the road, because they're eating roadkill. So God, I mean, Christ is coming along and he's saying, look how the Father feeds the ravens. Oh, great. He feeds them with roadkill, so if I lose my job and I lose everything, that, no. He was telling a Jewish people who understood unclean animals, he's saying, look, if God is willing to feed an unclean animal, if he's willing in his creation to see an unclean animal eat, then he's willing, more than willing, far greater than willing, no resistance at all to feed you his people because you're more valuable than an unclean thing. In other words, if he feeds the, the wild beast of the field, then he'll certainly feed his children. Certainly feed his children. Time does not permit me to talk about how God sometimes uses roadkill to feed us. Uh, example would be George Mueller who ran an orphanage uh, out of Bristol, England. And one day he had 300 miles. George Mueller made it his point to live by prayer and trusting completely in God to provide. And one day he had 300 miles at the orphanage to feed and no food to feed him, but he prayed. And a guy knocked on the door. He said, hey, my vehicle just had a road problem out here. He said, I got all this bread and I've got all this cream. and I got, can, I, can, can you help me? George Mueller, ah, roadkill, God provided. He's saying, you know, sometimes we've just got to remember again, our life has value before God. It's not, and, and so he's going to take care of it. All right. Consider cubits. Cubits, there, you know, commentators argue about is he talking about stature or is he talking about distance? A cubit is from your elbow to your wrist, it's 18 inches. And I liked what one guy said. He said, a cubit, a cubit would be half a step. You know, if you look at a step being about, oh, you know, twice 18, he says it's about 18 inches is half a step. And what he's saying here is if you envision our life with God being a walk with God, that you, in walking with God, you can't even take half a step without him. He is, so don't worry. He is with us, and he is leading us, and he is guiding us, and he's providing for us. And don't commit the sin of worry because what you're wanting is you're wanting to take steps in a different direction. You don't want the life that God is laying out for you. He's saying stop worrying about that and trust God where he's leading you. Trust God in those next 18 inches. You can't even take half a step without him. Don't you realize? Don't be under this illusion that you're in charge and you're in control. 
And that's part of where a lot of your worry is stemming from. You see, as you begin to have, as you begin, if you look at this big brick as faith, you know, and then you look at this little brick as unbelief, what happens is, is as this begins to diminish, this takes a life of its own. This really begins to grow. But if this, if we'll look at that for what it is and say, you know, I'm just not trusting God. I need to trust. I need to rest. My life has value. He's leading my steps. He oversees me. He has taken care of me. Then this will not be what we build our life on. And we'll become increasingly worry-free. Look at the lilies. Again, I'm out of time. But the lilies here was not a vase of flowers. It would have been growing. Think of a, a, a bad, you know, overgrown lot. And in it, you find wildflowers. And he's saying, you know, even in these bad situations, you see where I take care of my people. He wasn't saying, look at this beautiful planted garden. What he was saying is, you look over here and in all this clutter and this chaos, you still see how they're my people that are surviving in that. And they're not just surviving and eking it out and gutting it out. They're blooming and they're thriving. How amazing to look into circumstances, particularly people that have handicapped children. And, we would, and I would think, oh, I don't know, I can never do that. And I look and I see God's people in those situations blooming, blooming brilliantly. Why? Because they're trusting Him with their circumstances, they're serving Him in those circumstances, and He puts His glory in it. In other words, you catch a glimpse of Him upon those people and those lives. So may it be with us. Just adopt one. Consider the nations. In other words, you know what? Imagine, as it were, the two classifications of people You've got God's people and you've got those who are not God's people. Or better yet, imagine an orphanage. In an orphanage, you've got those kids that get adopted and you've got those that say, I have no mom, I have no dad, I have no one that has come here for me. I've got to make it on my own. And he's saying, that's the nations. The nations, we expect them to scramble and to seek and to worry and to connive and to cut corners because they have to. They don't have a father like you. But you're not like them. You're God's people. You have a father. Can I make a case for somebody today that's an unbeliever? Aren't you tired? Aren't you tired? Aren't you, aren't you tired of being afraid and alone? Take him as your father. Right now, this morning, he is seeking you and he wants you to be worry-free. Your little shoulder's not made to carry the weight of this world. He carried this world. He gives you life. He gives you value. Stop running around like the nation seeking to find you know, how you're going to make it through this life. When he comes to you, and I think he saved one of the best reasons for last, he says... There in verse 32, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. I, I think it a marvel that at this point he gets really cl- up close and personal. He's already talking to his disciples. He wants them to be worry-free. 
He doesn't want them to be preoccupied with all these other things. He wants them to be occupied with the value that they have with God as their father. And now he comes and he reinforces it and he says, little flock. You know, a little flock, you would know them all by name. I grew up on a small cattle farm and every morning I set out the buckets for the animals that I was in charge of and there was Dixie, Bonnie, Edie, Angel. Every one of them. And I would go out, Dixie, Bonnie, Edie, Angel, and Dixie would go here, and then Bonnie, and then Edie, and then Angel, and they all ate. They were cows that you took to the fair, so they were trained. But I knew them by name. Jesus Christ is saying, you're a little flock. God knows you by name. And he is pleased to give you the kingdom. He is pleased to give you a kingdom inheritance. As he says in Galatians 4, 4, 5, and 6, that we are no longer slaves, but we are sons. And not simply sons, but we are heirs. We're not like the man that cries out, Hey, you want to talk about anxieties? Make my brother split the inheritance with me. Jesus Christ says, I will give you my inheritance. I will give you all of heaven and I have. You're the Father's flock. I am the shepherd. Your Father is pleased to give you Himself. There's only one thing to the Christian that makes them truly, truly, truly anxious. And that's the passing thought that Christ could ever be taken out of their life. It troubled the disciples when He told them that. But then He told them very quickly, I'm going away, but I'm going to send to you the Holy Spirit. I'm going to come into your life, and your life is going to be a temple, and I'm going to dwell there, and you're never not going to be with me so that you can be like the man who says, someone comes to him and says, hey, aren't you worried that your car is going to soon be kaputs and you can't afford another one? He says, no, I'll, I'll get a moped. Yeah, but what if the moped breaks? Well, I'll walk. Well, what if you... What if you have a problem walking? He says, well, I'm going to get a cane. He said, well, what if you really can't walk that far? Well, I'm going to hitchhike. Well, what if nobody's going to pick you up and give you a ride? Then I'll walk with God, but I won't walk alone. And that's the point. The only thing that could ever really cause us to worry is never, ever going to happen because Jesus Christ, on the night that, the very night that he was betrayed, would take bread And he would break it and he said, this bread represents my body which is broken for you. Eat this in remembrance after me. In the same manner after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup represents my shed blood for the remission or the washing away of all sins. Drink this in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim my death on your behalf until I come again. Jesus Christ is telling us in these elements, when we take of this, it's a fresh reminder that He is with us in everything that we face. He gives Himself to us. He gives Himself to us because He values us that much such that He's willing to die for you. So how can He deny you for all of the things that we need? Oh, He may deny us of many of the things that we want, but only in that he would see how that could hurt us or harm us or destroy us. Let's pray. Father, a little bit of bread and a little bit of wine doesn't sound like it's very much to sustain a body, but it is. 
For the thing that sustains us is to feed on Jesus Christ. More of Him in my heart. More of Him in my mind. More of Him. And less, Father, preoccupation with the things, the worries of this world. For You are above this world and You have given us even Jesus Christ Himself. And to this end we pray in Christ's name. Amen.